0: Hi, everybody. This is Gary Thorne, and welcome to These Sports Rivals. It is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Great honor today to turn to Major League Baseball. And before I introduce our two guests, I want to talk about what they did in their Major League careers because it is an interesting development in an area that is relatively new in terms of the uh, game of Major League Baseball. Our guest today, Jeff Brantley, he had uh, 14 seasons in the majors from 1988 through 2001, Giants, Cincinnati, the Cardinals, Philadelphia, and Texas. He was an all-star in 1990 with an amazing 1.56 ERA when the season had ended. He would follow that up in 1996 with a uh, tremendous season leading the National League with 44 saves, was awarded the National League Relief Pitcher of the Year that season. Interesting that uh, the two Jeffs we have on today, Jeff Brantley and Jeff Shaw, who I'll we'll introduce in a minute, very similar numbers in terms of the uh, games that they played and what their careers consisted of. What's important in both cases, this is for Jeff Brantley. He appeared in 172 career saves in 615 career games, 615. He had only 18 starts. He was what we now know as, and what he was called at the time, the closer. And the same is true for Jeff Shaw. Jeff had 12 seasons, Major League Baseball from 1990 through 2001. Cleveland, the Expos, the White Sox, Cincinnati, where uh, the teammates met up, our two Jeffs today, and the Dodgers. Now, Jeff was the '97 relief pitcher of the year in 1997. He led the national league with 42 saves and it was his first year as a true closer for the season. He went on to have 48 saves a year later in 1998. And as was true with Jeff Brantley for Jeff Shaw, 633 games played in only 19 of those as a starter. So a true reliever career wise, For Jeff Shaw, 203 career saves. Jeff Brantley, Jeff Shaw, two closers at the Major League level are our guests here today. Let me just note for fans, the save statistic was not recognized by Major League Baseball until 1969. That's why it is a relatively new category of stats. It is not new in the sense of pitchers being used out of the bullpen. If you go uh, You can go all the way back to the great John McGraw. In 1905, McGraw actually started using people out of the bullpen. He did so by taking his starters on their days off and bringing them in to pitch in games as a way to get their off-day pitching numbers in. So we go back that far. Now, there were no closers. It really wasn't even a bullpen. It wasn't called a bullpen. They were just starters who were coming into a game in which they weren't starting. You move up to a name you've probably never heard, Furpo Mayberry. He played for Washington and Detroit, the Washington Nationals, from 1923 to 1936. And arguably, he's the first player whose career really was in terms of a closer. Uh, and then he was followed up by the likes of uh, Elroy Face and the great Hoyt Wilhelm, Joe Page, another one who was an early closer. But it wasn't until 69 the Major League Baseball said yes, we're going to recognize the save as a statistic and the closer as a role that is played in Major League Baseball. And the two Jeffs, Jeff Brantley and Jeff Shaw, they are closers and real good ones at the Major League level. So guys, let me, uh, let me start out by just asking you about the role of a closer and what that meant to you then and as you look back on it, what it means to you now in, in how it fits into baseball. And Jeff Shaw, I'll, I'll start with you. Go ahead.
1: Well, um, my, my my role as a closer uh, started probably much later than uh, Cowboys did, than Jeff's did. Um, I was a starter most of my career going through the minor leagues and the uh, Indians organization coming up. And then uh, once I became a uh, free agent and then I signed with the Expos, uh, that's when I got thrown into the bullpen. Um, I was more of a long guy, set-up guy, mop-up guy in Montreal because we had uh, probably arguably one of the best teams uh, Montreal's ever had in 1994, mm-hmm. So um, before the strike happened. We, um, uh, we had such starters that, that just never came out of the game. Uh, we had Kenny Hill and Jeff Facero and uh, Dennis Martinez. Uh, and then with uh, the back end of that game, uh, up there in 94 it was John Wetland and Mel Rojas so there was no way I was pitching at the end of those games uh, so Tim Scott, Gil Heredia and myself were pretty much just the mop up guys uh, we'd just go in there whenever but um, I actually uh, when when I was in my first year in Montreal Felipe came up to me at the end of the season and he basically told me he goes hey I want you to go play winter ball and by that time, I'd had almost two years, two and a half years in the big leagues. And I was like, I really don't want to go down to winter ball. Um, I have a son now. And, and he was like, I really want you to go. And he convinced me to go down there because he wanted me to learn how to pitch at the end of the ball game. And it was kind of interesting that I go down there. I went down there for the first half, had, had a few saves. And then when I came back, I, was, I kept thinking to myself, still, when I come back, I'm still not going to pitch at the end of these, these games. But it was a valuable lesson that I learned in winter ball of how to pitch at the end of the ballgame, especially in Caracas, Venezuela, when I went down to the Venezuelan League. Um, Prior to that, I'd pitched two years in the Dominican League, and I was a starter then um, with the Indians. So I had went to winter ball to learn how to be a starter as a young guy. And then, ironically, a few years later, I went down to the winter league again to learn how to be a, a closer, uh, to ha- learn how to pitch at the end of those ball games. And that was um, kind of interesting uh, to me how, how how my career went uh, full circle from, you know, being a starter, mop-up, middle guy, set-up guy, to a closer. It wasn't like that I just got, I just came up to the big leagues and, and became a closer. That didn't happen for me.
2: Well, um, I, I think you look at, Gary, you talked about our our careers being very similar and our experiences of getting to the bullpen were quite similar. Uh, May have come from a different category or a different place, uh, but they kind of happen in a very similar way. I I know that I had been a starter throughout college. I was a starter throughout the minor leagues, got to the big leagues as a starter. And I can remember Roger Craig, my manager in San Francisco, uh, telling me, uh, you need to go, you need to go to winter ball. You need to learn how to pitch out of the bullpen. And at that point in time, I'm thinking, well, pitching is pitching. Why, why, I mean, I can either start or I can pitch at the end of the game. I mean, it's it's still doing the same thing. No, it's not. And, and I realized that quite quickly. Uh, pitching in winter ball, uh, I, I pitched down in Mayaguez, Puerto Rico, and the fans are rabid. I mean, you might as well be pitching in front of a, a New York Yankee crowd because these, these folks are – that is their greatest entertainment is being able to, to watch not only their native sons, but uh, Americans and, and other different players that come down to, to play. And I remember telling Jim Riggleman, who was my manager, my first manager down there, I said, hey, I, I, wanna, I don't want to pitch in the sixth inning. I, I, I don't want to do that. I want to pitch in the ninth inning. I want to pitch when the game is on the line. And he said, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. And we never got to that. I, it, the season kept going on. And when I came into the ball game, it was either 11 to 2 or 2 to 11. And <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't do a whole lot for me. And, and once I got that first taste of the exceptional adrenaline and just that feel like your head is going to blow off coming into a ball game to save it. Uh, there is nothing more that i've ever experienced at that point nor have i experienced it until the point that i'm at now there is no substitute for that type of feeling for a guy that's an adrenaline junkie and make no mistake about it any any successful any successful closer is an adrenaline junkie he absolutely feeds off The one-to-nothing game, coming in with a runner at second base, the game is on the line. And as soon as he opens that door from the bullpen and heads out to the field and the fans are cheering and he knows that one wrong pitch, one hanging slider in the middle of the plate, the game is tied, Uh, that's the part. I guess the fear of failure. Uh, I think Dennis Eckersley used to talk about that. He was motivated by the fear much more than he was anything else. But just that adrenaline, however you want to put it, Uh, really changes the whole outlook of a closer. There are some guys that live off that, and there are some guys that don't want any part of it. And you know the guys that want it is when the phone rings in the bullpen and they slide up to the front of their seat as if to say, okay, that's me. And then there are others that they know that the bullpen is about to be called on and they're in the bathroom. (laughs) Well, the guys that are in the bathroom are never going to pitch in the night. If they do, they're not going to do very well.
1: Well, that was funny, Cowboy, that you say that, because when, when, when we hooked up together my first year, I was setting up for you uh, in Cincinnati, and about halfway through the season, you looked at me one in, in the dugout, and you go, hey, you can do my job. And my first answer to you was, there is no way I can do that. I said, I- I'm sorry, I, I can't. Right now, I'm not ready. He goes, "Yeah, you are. You're ready. You're you're ready to take that next step." And I always remember you telling me that you know closing is like the guy on the uh, high wire act. Uh, the setup guy is the high wire. The guy's walking across the high wire. The setup guy is the guy who has the net underneath him, and he walks across. Hmm. And then the closer is the guys when the guy walks across there, and they take the net away. And they say, go ahead and walk across there. And do, you, I, I, do I, you remember
2: what I told you that day? Do you remember when you said that, no, I can't, no, I can't? And I told you, I said, okay, you get the three, four, five guys every single day. That's what that's who you get out. You get the guys that are the home run hitters three, four, five. You get nothing besides your name except an inning pitch. And I said, I'll get the seven, eight, nine. And that way we'll have a good working relationship. You could, have done, you could have done my job. You could have done my job from the day that we put on the Reds uniform. You, I, and you and you did it. You did after the fact. I remember
1: you say, I remember about halfway through the year, it was like every single time in the eighth inning, I would look up at the board in Riverfront, and I would go, oh, my goodness. Here we go again. Two, three, four, three, four, five. And I just, I remember one day I walked in the locker room and, we're all giddy and everything, and everybody's yelling. We want a big series.
2: I looked and I said, "Hey, cowboy, you just get the little guys. I'll, I'll get the big guys." <laughs> That's right. And you and make sure Ray, who Ray Knight was our manager at the time, make sure that you get Jeff in the ball game in the seventh, so he keeps the game intact. Seventh and eighth, and then I'll come in and pitch those last three outs. I
1: I also remember one time sitting in the dugout, and you turned around, and this is when I truly, truly. Started thinking like a closer. You were sitting in your chair. I was sitting on the bench, which I always did, off to your left shoulder, because I I was like a sponge. Then I wanted to learn everything that I could from what you what the way you spoke, the way what you did before the game started, how you warmed up in the bullpen. I was a sponge, and I just wanted to know everything that I could get uh, to make me a successful at the end of the ball game type guy. And you you turned around one day, and you looked at me. I forget who we were playing. And you turned around, and you go, hey, what are you going to do on these next two pitches? And I looked at you, and I, I don't even think I was even paying attention. And I, turned, I looked at you, and you didn't say it so nicely in nice words to me. And you started <laughs> airing me out, and everybody in the dugout was looking. And they was like, what the heck? These guys fighting? What are they doing? You basically told me, you better know what you're going to do on the next three pitches to a guy to get him out because I don't want to come in and clean up your messes. And and that set with me more than anything. And I think that was the day that I turned from just sitting in the dugout watching the game
2: to thinking about each and every hitter from the seventh inning on. Well, it was it was painfully obvious to me and, and I'm sure everyone else that when you came into the ball game in the seventh inning and you were throwing the ball 95, 96 miles an hour with that drop dead slider that you had and then I came in and I was throwing 89, 90, the, ro- the roles actually should have been reversed. They sh- I should have been the one that was pitching in the eighth inning and you should have been the one pitching in the ninth or pitching in the eighth and the ninth. The whole difference was just the experience and the mentality. And once, once you started looking at it from a different view, from a different lens, really, when you started looking at it as though, hey, this, this should be my job. I, I, I could do this. Once you started looking at it like that, it was over. It, I mean, it was over. Every time he gave, Every time Ray gave us the ball in the seventh inning on, the game was over. And, and that's how it's supposed to be at the back end.
1: But I also told you also uh, one day in there, I said, hey, I'm not here to take your job. I'm not. I'm perfectly happy setting you up. And, and, and you know what? And, and probably in this day and age, it, it probably would not be that way because that setup guy does want that closer's job. And that turnover is so quick at the major league level now. If you're not successful and if you can't hold it out, then – that happens pretty quickly, and I and you know what, and, and I'm being totally honest. I, I probably would have set up for you for the next four years. They could have signed me to a, you know, a two or three year contract, paying me half the money what closers are, and I would have been perfectly
2: happy setting you up for the last four years. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm I'm glad that you didn't want my job because yes. I sure didn't want yours. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you were talking about the winter
1: ball and going down there and, and pitching and then uh, not being able to pitch in that in that uh, ninth inning down there. I've got a story back when I first went down to the Dominican pitched really, really well, wound up uh, getting an award for the Dominican the pitcher of the year down there, which doesn't happen very often for American pitchers because it's voted on. Uh, by the media and the managers, and it and, and so usually goes to a Latin player. Uh, I wound up winning it that year, but there was a particular game at home um, in Santiago I pitched one night, and I went seven innings, gave up one run on two hits, and we got beat one to nothing. And, uh, you know, as usual, our van's sitting outside, and I'm getting ready to uh, take a shower and get ready to go outside, and Moises Alou stops me. He goes, hey, you need to stay in here for a little while. I go, well, why is that? He goes, there's a couple of guys out there by the van that want to talk to you. And I looked at Moises and, I, you know, just some dumb Ohio kid from a little small town in Ohio went, What do they want? He goes, They bet money on you tonight to win and you lost. I went, Hold on, man. I said, I lost. I, I said, Moises, I went seven innings and gave up one run on two hits. He goes, yeah, but they lost money. He goes, I'm going to have to go out and talk to him. He goes, we'll sneak you on the van here in a little bit. <laughs>
2: That's how much they love their baseball <laughs> down there. They do love their baseball. And you know, for now it, it's not as, m- players don't go down there as much. American players don't go down there as much to, to learn their trade, it's more in the Arizona Fall League or brought along, uh, I guess, at a at a club's discretion during the minor league season. But um, I know hearing you say that, and I know for me, uh, my experience in in Puerto Rico is really, I mean, that's what got me to the big leagues and and really taught me how to pitch out of the bullpen. You you mentioned earlier, Jeff, about learning how to warm up. Uh, people that hear that think learn how to warm up, oh, you just toss the ball back and forth. <laughs> yeah. there's, a whole, there's a whole different mechanism that goes into place when you're warming up as a starter versus warming up as a reliever. And I learned real quick when I got to the big leagues under Roger Craig that when, you, when that phone rang and he said, get up, you better get as many throws as you could get in between that point in time and by the time he hung the phone up because Roger was one of those types of managers that if he knew you could get ready fast, he would say, get Brantley up. He'd hang the phone up, slowly walk down, get the lineup card, and he's heading out to the mound. So that gave you about 10 or 11 throws, and then you get seven or eight when you get out to the mound. He figures, okay, he needs about 20 throws. He'll be ready to go. Yeah, and that was- happened a ton. Yeah, you you throw that number of twenty out there. It it, it literally
1: takes you. Uh, I used to get in that mindset where it usually takes between twenty and twenty five pitches to get ready. And like you said, you know, and 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 pitching late in the game, a lot of those managers they do get antsy. They they want their they want their hammers in there at the end of the game quickly, and you don't want it to get out of hand. And and I think that's uh, like you said, it is a mindset. Uh, closing is a mindset. Um, there, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that people don't understand that you know there's 55,000 people when I pitch in Dodger Stadium uh, fifty five thousand people and when you're on the mound you absolutely hear nothing and people go how how how's that possible there's you know it, it's going crazy it, it is a buzz it, and it's it's hard to explain but it's almost like going in and taking a test or a final you have Prepared so much, and all you're thinking about is the scouting report. That's the only thing you're thinking about. And you, you taught me um, probably the year you were hurt uh, in Cincinnati, and I was closing. You taught me a lot of things about. Hey, there are certain guys that just hit you better than other guys. He
2: goes,
1: he goes, don't face them. And I go, well, how's that possible? He goes, you just pitch around him. He goes, you pitch around them until you find a guy that you can get out. And I and I I started thinking about that. I'm like, okay. So if if I come in the ballgame and I got four, five, six, or seven, eight pinch hitter, and you know who they're gonna pinch hit against you. Cowboys, you used to tell me to say, hey, just get to the pinch hitter because you know you can get him out. However, you have to get there. You get to that point. And that was something that I carried throughout my career too. It was like I, I remember <laughs> pitching in Philadelphia. Um and and Daddy Johnson's my manager in LA and he walks out and I got a runner on second and I've got two outs and we got a one run lead. And there's a right-handed hitter that's coming up. And that year I was just eating lefties up because Cowboy, he taught me how to throw my slider to lefties. And I, I, Davey walks out. He goes, hey, what are we going to do right here? I go, we're just going to walk this guy. I said, because they're going to pitch hit John Mabry, and I can get him out. And he's like, he looks at me, and he goes, all right, this one's on you. I'm not intentionally walking this guy. I go, okay. So I went out there and threw four balls in the dirt and walked him. Sure enough, they announced, here comes John Mabry out of the dugout. I throw him a sinker away, throw him a slider in, hits a ground ball to the first baseman. They step on the bag. Carroll steps on the bag. Game over. So I'm walking into the locker room, and I know the media is going to be there. And here they come. They gather around. They go, "Are you out of your mind?" And I go, what are, you, "What are you? What are you talking about?" And they said, "You put the winning run on at first base. You walked the winning run in a one-run game." I'm like. I'll do it 10 more times if I have to, if I have to get to somebody that I can get out. Not, did not tell them. I said, this is what Jeff Brantley always taught me. Get to somebody you can get
2: out. <laughs> you know, that that's a that's a funny thing that you say that because in today's world, uh, you're expected to strike out everybody that walks up there. And knowledge of, of who you can get out, more times than not, as a closer, you're asked to get three outs, maybe four, possibly five, in august and september but for the most part every time you come into the ball game you're asked to get three out there are nine batters in the lineup all you've got to do is figure out three of the first five that you can get out without allowing a run now the quicker you can get them out the more times that you can pitch days in a row so you have you have to kind of balance that a little bit you don't want to go out and throw 25 or 30 pitches as an inning because the following day you're going to have a little issue with with the shoulder and the elbow but we were taught in, in our day, when Jeff and I were in Cincinnati, you're getting them out as fast as you can get them out so that you can pitch the next day, the third day in a row, and the fourth day in a row. Some hmm. of the things that Jeff and I did would be unheard of if, if you tried to do that in today's game. There would be players that would balk at it. Hmm.
0: I've got to ask, let me, let me ask you each of you this. I've always wondered, uh, hitters tend to, talk to other hitters, pitchers, I'm not sure, talk to one another as much as hitters talk to each other, but do you follow, did you follow other closers in the game to watch what they were doing, to know who they were, and even to be looking to see, you know, maybe I got a job coming in this place because they're going to need a closer. Did you follow guys who were doing the same thing you were doing, Jeff Shaw?
1: I I did not. Um, Gary, when I when I first started becoming a closer, I was still, so to speak, wet behind the ears. I, I was just trying to keep my job is basically what I was trying to do, trying to put up as many numbers, uh, saves and and numbers and save opportunities and close out games as I could because I, I just didn't feel like that I was ever guaranteed a job. I never felt like I was guaranteed a job until I uh, I went to L.A. in my last three seasons out in L.A., that, that was the only time that I ever felt really, really secure. And I mean that. And and I had pitched seven, eight years in the big leagues, and I mm-hmm. still didn't feel secure. I was always, I always felt like that. I was pitching for my life, and maybe that's what made me pretty good uh, at that time because I was so geared up that I was like, I, I'm looking over my shoulder. I don't want this next young phenom to come in and, and take my job. I, I want to put those numbers up so high. That that no one can catch me. Um that that's uh that's the mindset I had. And and to Cowboys' defense too. We if we were sitting there watching somebody like a Trevor Hoffman, we didn't have that Bugs Bunny
2: changeup he had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that in a in a business sense or a career sense, yes, you look at other clubs and, and try to decide, okay, this I might could fit there or I might could fit here, but you're really only doing that during the off season. And you're really only doing that in a season where you might be a free agent at the end of the year. I think the, the biggest reason that, that I would take the time to look at other pitchers and how they faced other hitters was trying to dis, trying to help me get hitters out that I had trouble with. Because if I, if I tried, like in today's world, if I tried to look at a Rodis Chapman, that didn't help me any. I don't throw 100. And so I tried to find successful pitchers – that pitched like me with like stuff, Uh, maybe their slider was a little better or maybe they threw a better change up, but as far as velocity and the ability to locate, I watched those guys to see how they would get out certain hitters that were difficult for me. That way I could use their scouting report against that hitter and it made me perform better.
1: But and you know what? And cowboy, we had similar stuff. Maybe yeah. Maybe my fastball was a little had a little more life than yours did. But your split was better than mine. Our sliders were pretty much the same. And I, that's probably what made me so successful was sitting watching you uh, get hitters out too. And and I think it was vice versa. I think you learned a little bit off of me. Also, um, trying to get guys out. I, I I do remember there was certain times that you was always telling me, "He goes, hey." you're pretty good on the right-hand side of the plate, but you got to have something for the other side because you can't live over there on the right-hand side of the plate all the time. And I told you, I said, well, for a lefty, I'm not going to go in there. I'm not going to throw my slider down and into a lefty and get killed. And you basically told me, you're going to have to, to be able to be successful at this, you're going to have to have both sides of the plate. And I remember telling you once, I looked you dead square in the face, you go throw your slider to a lefty and see what happens. And you went, okay, I'll do it.
2: <laughs> and you went up there and just started
1: tearing bats in half. And I was like, okay, if he can do it, I can do it.
2: <laughs> you know, I, I think that's the way communication ought to be with every staff. I, I think that the guys that the guys that really continue to achieve and get better and better, they listen. Uh, they, they throw out the, the stuff that they don't need, but they keep things in that – that works for them, and, and I think that really helped both of us being able to describe and, and to talk about how we're going to pitch certain hitters where you've had success with a certain guy, especially when it comes down to a guy that you have difficulty getting out. When you when you have a teammate that's successful in that area, it helps you in the long run. Absolutely,
1: yep, it sure does. And you know, and, and guys that have success like you had prior to me getting to Cincinnati, I trusted you. I, I mean, I trusted your knowledge and what you were doing uh, in the game at that, at that time in your career. So that's another thing is trusting that guy that's behind you or that guy that's in front of you.
0: I, I, I can't let the show go without asking each of you. And this is a tough one. Uh, so much goes on in the bullpen in the course of a season, a career so many funny things uh, go on that people never see because you don't see the bullpen until there's somebody warming up. Can I get a story from each of you that's actually repeatable? <laughs> 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 uh, something that you remember uh, in the bullpen that just stands out in your career, Jeff Brantley?
2: Um, wow. Well, I, I do remember – in my youngest days, when I first came up with the Giants, um, I was playing with the likes of Don Robinson, Steve Bedrosian, Goose Gossage, Ron Davis. Uh, there were quite a few um, older guys in that arena. And it 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 was hard for me to communicate with those guys because they had been in the big leagues for some of them 10, 12 years. And the the most difficult part for me was not not just the sitting there watching the game, but listening to these guys and, and hearing them talk about things that that they were going to do uh, post ball game. <laughs> because um, you know, I, there, I played I played with guys that when it got close to time for for them to go into the ball game, they would step out of the bullpen Now you have to remember back in candlestick that was just a little box down the right field line. That was a bullpen. And there were guys that they would have a, a nicotine attack. If, <laughs> if it was getting close for them to go in a ball game, well, you can't, you can't smoke cigarettes in that little box. It's a fire hazard. We're in California for God's sake. So the guys would turn and they would go down the little tunnel. There was a metal door. They'd walk down the tunnel. And I'm I'm not sure that I've ever seen to this day somebody smoke a cigarette as fast as those guys would smoke cigarettes. I mean, one straight drag and it burn it from tip to the to the filter. I mean, in no time. And, and I thought we were supposed to be athletes.
1: <laughs> well, I got a smoking one for you too. <laughs> So you play with some older guys. This, this guy was in his prime. So I'm in LA and in LA, we have the open area down there that you can sit in front of the gate or you can sit inside the box in there. And we always had a TV in there watching, watching a game, listen to vent. And there, it was a, it was, I think it was a Sunday day game and this, he was our outfielder. He was our left fielder and was having some really good years. He comes strolling down to the bullpen and about the sixth, seventh inning, smoking a big old stokey out of uniform. <laughs> he has shorts on, T-shirt, walks behind there. You know where you come out right there underneath by the batting cage, cowboy. Oh, yeah. He comes strolling out of there, and as soon as he comes out, all the fans see and they start screaming and hollering. And they want autographs because he's out of uniform. And I'm like, Raul, what are <laughs> you doing, man? He, he, he goes, Oh, it's okay, Josie. He goes, I got the day off. I go, You do? <laughs> Why well, <I> don't? Like, <laughs> like that. So he looks at me and goes, I, 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 just, I just stay out here. Like, okay. So he pulls up a chair in front of the gate. And starts smoking his, his big old stogie. <laughs> so, I mean, it, he had that thing about halfway down, and he comes in, and he comes in the box, and he's sitting in there. And there is smoke just billowing out of there. He's in there just puffing away on that thing. And I'm in there, and I'm about half choked to death. I go, Raul. I look at him, and I go, he goes, what's up, Chelsea? I said, you're going to have to take that out, and out of here, man. I said, I got to work today. Could be a save op. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I leave in a minute. I go, no, you you need to leave right now. (laughs) And he walked out, started waving to all the people in the crowd, like the mayor, and then went into the tunnel and went back up to the deck. I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. And everybody was looking at me like, I was scared to death to tell him to leave. I said, I wasn't. I'm like, you about to choke us to death down here with that stogie. (laughs)
0: I guess we have a common problem in the bullpens <laughs> oh god all right look you know i told you with the time would just fly by here and that's exactly what's happened i'd like to uh, finish it off though with a little look ahead from each of you uh we've seen lots of discussions the use of closers should they come in in the seventh inning if they're the best pitcher available and and the game's on the line, you got the best hitters up. Do you always save them for the ninth inning? Do you do you ask for four or five outs during the regular season, or do you want to start a clean inning with your closer? Uh, from each of you, just where you see the role of the closer going, if it's going anywhere other than where it is right now in Major League Baseball. Jeff Brantley?
2: Gary, yeah, I think that ultimately it comes down to how you're going to get paid. and. I think that if you're pitching the last three outs, or are really the last out of the ball game, and you're getting that S beside your name, and we continue to uh, incentivize that monetarily, then I think that's where players are going to lean. I, I think that that's just it's a it's just a natural. If mm. you can figure out a way, and surely there's enough smart people out there to make this happen. If you can figure out a way that your closer still feels like and is compensated correctly by pitching in the seventh inning with the bases loaded and the game on the line, and then your team scores five runs in the next inning, there is no save. But yet that guy is still getting some semblance of compensation for it. I don't think that the closer role is going anywhere. I don't think it's ever going to change until you change the compensation of those pitchers. Because right now, if you pitch the last three outs of the game, whether they're the toughest outs or not, those are the guys that are going to be the highest paid in your bullpen. It's just the way it is.
1: I, I, I feel like the, the – like Cowboy said, I, I don't think the closers' role is going to change anytime soon. Um, I still think that they are one of the most key pieces to any championship team. Um, you've got to get a guy that can get the last three outs. Uh, and on a consistent basis, um, yeah, they're going to stumble every once in a while, but most of them, uh, most closers are pretty good. They're they're going to get it about nine out of every 10 times or 9.5 times out of 10. So with, with that being said, I think if you communicate uh, with your manager and that closer has a consistent, I mean, day in, day out, consistent, open communication with his manager, I think you, you're you going to be much, much more successful. Because if there are days that you cannot pitch, you literally cannot pitch, you have to have the confidence to go in there and tell him, hey, I, I can't go today. That gives him the opportunity to get somebody else or line up that bullpen. But that open communication, I think, is really, really key. And being consistent so that that guy knows every single day that rug's not going to get pulled out from underneath him if he does blow a save um, and, and, and come back that next day and get that save opportunity. But I think that open communication with your manager is, is key. It's huge.
0: Well, guys, it's just been great to talk about this uh, relatively new position in Major League Baseball that you two were so good at, and uh, we really appreciate it. Um, we thanks for you. thank you for the insights and the, and the great stories as well. Jeff Shaw and uh, our own uh, Jeff Brantley. Thank you very much for being our guests here. A word from our sponsor, Bet Online. Head to betonline.ag and take advantage of the great sign up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. That's going to uh, conclude another chapter of Our Sports Rivals. You can find the show at believe.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. You can learn more about this one and other episodes by logging on to thesportsrivals.com. You can join the conversation with questions, suggestions for future shows. And follow us on Instagram at thesportsrivals, on Twitter at rivals underscore podcast, and Facebook by searching for the Sports Rivals podcast. Again, to our guests today, to Jeff Brantley, Jeff Shaw, thanks a million. That's all about the closers. That's going to do it today. And remember, it's the rivalries that make the games.
2: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform.